Today's podcast is one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. We got Chris Fowler on his career, ESPN stories. Uh, I think he's so good at what he does, and you're going to know why after you listen to this interview. The facts about why Lamar Jackson doesn't have a contract, and we'll look a little history with other quarterbacks, worst take podium nominations, our first ever, and life advice. Enjoy. This episode is presented to you by Lululemon. The perfect pants do exist, and you can get them at Lululemon. The men's ABC pants are shockingly comfortable and breathable, and they come in tons of different styles and fabrics, all made to make you look and feel good. Whether you're in the office, at the gym, cheering in the stands, or just relaxing at home, these pants are in a league of their own. Buy a pair today at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. This is something that I wanted to do Monday, but was going to do that after the first week of the NFL and all the college football stuff. I want to talk about Lamar Jackson's contract. All right, the headline is Lamar doesn't have a new contract. Uh, there's multiple theories on this. Uh, the headline could be Ravens make offer. Uh, the headline could be Lamar wants historic contract. But we know right now the season starts, terrific quarterback, guy has an MVP, he doesn't have a new contract. So what's going on? Multiple theories on why that is. Uh, one was that he doesn't have an agent. We're going to get into what the offers really are and what was reported. I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, for some people, you know, there's times where, you know, I don't, I don't like to compare my experience with agents to somebody who's an NFL MVP. So maybe I just don't. I don't know. Uh, there are times, though, I think if you're a person that has representation, you're in a field that has rep- representation, there's times where you probably didn't need one and maybe you're paying too much for it. Uh, sometimes you're definitely paying too much for it. And then there's other times where you're like, this is this opportunity that comes along where you're like, oh, this is just better. I also think there's something too that is just to your advantage by having somebody else argue your position because as somebody who's not had an agent at certain times, so I guess I actually am doing this. Um, it's just weirder when you're telling the person who's in charge of paying people why you should be making more than other people. People just don't really like that. Uh, I've been told that straight up in my face. Like, why are you comparing yourself to other contracts? You're just like, because that's literally what everybody does. And I would just be paying somebody else 10% to do the exact same thing. Um, and in this case, Lamar Jackson is comparing himself to other quarterback contracts because that's the way business works and it's what Lamar should be doing. So I want to go back, as always, and try to sift through all these different theories and land on something that I think is fairly obvious. Because there was another theory, too, that it was like, wait, is the team maybe on the fence about him a little bit? Uh, I am a big, big fan of having an opinion on a quarterback and then when the team does something with quarterback I either love or don't like, then I can feel validated. I'm on an absolute heater, by the way, of quarterbacks and how I felt about them. And then the team ultimately does something that reinforces everything I thought about the quarterback. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo getting benched for Trey Lance. I feel like that's a W. Um, I know this hurts for Rudy, but Alex Smith got benched twice for Kaepernick and then Mahomes. Uh, you could say, wait, are you kidding me? He got benched for Mahomes. Okay, fine. But he also got benched for Kaepernick. Uh, the Kirk Cousins stuff in Washington. Not many of us respect anything that Washington's football team has done over the years. But I'm going to get to Cousins a little bit later when we start talking about franchise tags. I love that Washington was just like, yeah, you know, you put up some numbers. But we just don't think you're that good. And we don't want to pay you. And we're not. And there you go. 
It also worked out for Cousins. Did not work out for Washington. But those are quarterbacks where I was like, wait, is there my right to be hesitant? Will the team do anything that confirms that? And those are just four transactional examples that I can give you. And there's a lot more, but I'm not going to get caught getting into all that right now. So let's go back into history and try to figure out what this means. So all we have to do is look at Dak Prescott's contract negotiation. Okay, before we get to any of the Lamar numbers, Dak, I think, is a good template for trying to figure out Lamar's situation. So Dak and the Cowboys were working on a contract, working on a new deal in 2020. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott just got a six-year, $90 million deal in 2019. I remember as that happened, an NFL source telling me uh, that Zeke's agents knew there was one place that was going to do one of these old-school running back contracts, and it was Dallas. And they did it. And they got their money. A lot of guaranteed money in there for running back. That contract has been a disaster. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott isn't even close to being that dynamic anymore. And you know, if you say they're the only team that would have done it, to be fair, the Rams gave Todd Gurley a contract that made zero sense at the time as well. So there was a motivation from Dak's camp to go, wait, if they're, if they're going to give Ezekiel Elliott running back money from, you know, again, not the total number of money, but prioritize him like a 1990s running back, then we can probably do all right. But at the time, there were multiple theories about why Dak wasn't going to get paid. Um, Chris Sims we've had on the podcast at the time reported that Dak had turned down five years, 175 million. That was a 35 million average annual salary. Now, Rappaport, great lighting, refuted this later, but it was refuted based on the tweet that I saw. Rappaport was saying like his agents refute Chris Sims and whatever. He got kind of turned into this stew of who's right and who's wrong. I, in 2020, although not your main source for NFL stuff, with Chris Long on that podcast in 2020, in the fall, as you were, again, talking about Dak, we're like, yeah, I'd heard he turned down actually like over $100 million in guaranteed money. Um, And there's a big dispute over the fourth year versus the fifth year and that Dak wants the shorter deal and he wants more guaranteed money and he wants to get closer up one of the top guarantees that we've seen in the NFL at that position. I felt really good about that. We shared it. Um, and this isn't one of those, you know, we, we need to all do a better job of like the layman reaction to like, he turned down a hundred million guaranteed or Lamar Jackson turned down how much guaranteed he turned down. These are special people. <laughs> Most of us are not. So whenever you're like, oh, you know, you could just pay, you know, just give me the hundred million. And you're like, no, because no one's offering it to you. No one's offering it to you. All right. So no new deal for Dak in that 2020 fall. Reports about what he'd actually, but it was very clear he turned, and it was clear to me based on what I had talked about on the podcast, he had turned down a nine figure guarantee, but it wasn't enough because he wanted a shorter deal. So, what happens with Dak? He plays five games, breaks his leg, and it was a bad one. If it was an arm, we wouldn't have cared as much. Breaks his leg, everyone freaks out. Dak, Dak, Dak should have gotten paid after the season, March 21st. He signs a four year deal, $160 million, puts him above everybody else on average annual salary behind, behind Mahomes, and signs for. 15 million less guaranteed than Patrick Mahomes. Everything worked out for Dak. All the theories were wrong. He broke his leg and still got paid like the second highest quarterback contract at that time of all time. Because if you cycle out the timing, which has a lot to do with how quarterbacks get paid, the newest guy, it's not the better guy. It's usually the newest guy gets the better deal. 
And you can see the way agents will do these in some of the announcements. Like, let's look at Kyler Murray's deal. Kyler Murray's deal was July 22. He had five years, $230 million, $189 million guaranteed. Kyler Murray has the second highest guarantee in NFL history. And because there was a weird clause in there that didn't make a ton of sense, people actually felt bad for him on Twitter. All right. Uh, Russell Wilson signs in September. And guess what he does? He does five years at $242.5 million because Kyler's number set a previous number. And the reason Kyler got 230.5 is because Watson got 230 million, but Watson got an unprecedented, and what makes a lot of people feel bad about, the first ever $230 million guarantee because Cleveland wanted him that bad. All right, so let's go back to what we're looking at here with Lamar. Lamar reports before we found out what the numbers were that he wanted a fully guaranteed deal. So he wanted five years and whatever his number was going to be, he wanted that to be just like Deshaun Watson. He feels like, like, look at me. I've been in the playoffs. I've got the MVP. I think in a vacuum, more people would prefer Deshaun Watson, the football player. That's all I'm talking about here, the football player. Um, But I can understand Lamar's position on this. I'm going to be doing my deal later. All these other guys have gotten paid. I want to keep it moving. Uh, you know, pay me the full guarantee because now we have a precedent for it. So Chris Mortensen, Adam Schefter reported that Jackson turned down five years, $250 million. So we're going to push that number way beyond the $230 million, but only $133 million guaranteed. Now, because of Lamar and the way he plays, I've seen this argued. Well, of course, Lamar wants the guaranteed money because look at the way he plays, which I do think ironically is an argument to not guarantee him all that money, but $133 million guaranteed, forget what the average annual salary is, okay, forget what that is, $133 million isn't going to cut it anymore, because as we look at the recent deals, Rogers, he got all $150 million of his extension guaranteed, whatever, but that's still north of what Jackson would be, Wilson got $160 million of his new deal in September guaranteed, Jackson's under that. Kyler, again, $189, $190 million of his deal. That was in July, guaranteed. Watson, as we mentioned. Uh, and then Mahomes' deal is just weird. He's 10 years, $450 million. His average annual salary is now below like five other guys. That'll clearly get reworked. I don't know that Kansas City would mess with their quarterback and say, hey, we gave you a deal where we all decided that it would get torn up later on, but actually we're going to use that low number to negotiate against you because now we have leverage because I don't think they're going to do that with the best quarterback perhaps of all time. So, and again, that's a little early. He's got some resume work to do there. So if Lamar wants to turn this down, that's, that's within his right because it's actually low. The $250 million sounds really exciting. But that's that guaranteed money. This is this is old news. The quarterbacks are making more and more guaranteed money on the new deals. And you know where it started? It actually kind of started with Kirk Cousins, because here's the problem for Jackson. He can turn that down. He is worth more. But it's not like Lamar. Man, that team doesn't like him. Are there doubts? What's going on? What, what kind of theories can we come up with? Why Lamar Jackson isn't being paid? Well, it's because he wants way more guaranteed money than he's being offered. But the Ravens are smart and making the headline part of it be like, wait a minute, it's $250 million. Hey, it's all going to work out. And hey, we're going to do all these different things. He needs more guaranteed money. And that's fine. But the reason the Ravens can offer this is because they have the tag leverage. And that's why I hate the franchise tag, because it prevents true free agency. The non-exclusive tag for Lamar for next year will be $32 million. That means another team can offer him a deal. The Ravens have five days to match. The more likely exclusive tag, where you can't do anything except keep him for the one year, is $46 million. 
Now, the tag can work out for the player. They don't like it, but it can work out for the player. You get tagged for 46, you play it out one more year, and then you hit you hit free agency again unless they wanted to hit back-to-back tags, which is actually what Kirk Cousins did. Kirk Cousins, because Washington kind of liked him, didn't love him. Uh, they didn't want to give him that long-term deal. So in 16, they tagged him at just about $20 million. The next year, they tagged him again at $24 million, And then he was a true free agent because they couldn't do it again. And Minnesota paid him three years and $84 million, all of it guaranteed for, I believe, the first time ever, setting a new precedent. If you look at all the years from 2016 to 2023, Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is going to do eight years, $229 million, where the average annual salary actually dips a little lower than you expect because the early tag years drag that average down. So there's a version of events here where Lamar gets tagged and then hits, the, hits it again. But this is just very simple. The guaranteed number is too low, even though the new big number would be the biggest ever, and that's how it would be announced. I don't blame Lamar for turning this down. I don't really blame the Ravens for having that leverage. Sometimes you think, do you really want to mess with your quarterback? But that's all this is, and it's just like Dak. And it's probably, if Lamar has a good season, or even if he gets hurt, (laughs) just like with Dak, he's probably going to get paid. But the Ravens, and apparently Lamar, not in a hurry to get something done that they don't want right now. Start the NFL week off right with a no-sweat, same-game parlay every Thursday from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. It doesn't matter if you're new to FanDuel or already have an account. Every Thursday night, you'll get free bets back if your NFL same-game parlay doesn't hit. Same-game parlays are the perfect way to combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payday. Okay, three legs, same-game parlay. Chargers at Chiefs. The line in this one, Chargers are plus four and a half. Total 45 and a half. Let's just go the other way on everyone. Let's go plus four and a half Chargers. Let's take the under, which is horrifying with these two quarterbacks and offenses. You could go Kelsey anytime touchdown, which is the best, well, actually worst number here. You know, I almost like a McKinnon total yards over because it just feels like they're using him, man. And he's fresh. It's the beginning. So the other two, something with a little bit better odds here. Uh, Mike Williams, who I feel like I always love and sometimes think I shouldn't. Uh, Why don't we go Mike Williams over 70 yards receiving. Build your own or choose from one of the popular same-game parlays pre-built for you in FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. However you want to play, you can bet the NFL every Thursday night with a no-sweat same-game parlay. Just sign up with the promo code RYAN, R-Y-E-N. If you don't already have an account, that's promo code RYAN to get free bets back if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in select states. Three-plus legs minimum. $1 bet required. Refund issues, non-withdrawable free bets that expire in seven days after receipt. Max free bet. $5 restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com forward slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org forward slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT-INDIANA. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP-LOUISIANA. one 877 
Hope New York or text Hope New York to 467-369 New York. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9789. Tennessee, 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. Our guest today is somebody I'm really excited to have on the podcast. Uh, Everybody knows that I'm a huge fan. I think he's one of the most talented people that works in media. I got a chance to kind of, I wouldn't say shadow or travel. We were just in the same area uh, for college game day on TV and radio um, and from ESPN. And coverage of the U.S. Open as well. It's Chris Fowler. Thanks a lot for doing this, Chris. How are you? It's my pleasure, man. I'm a fan, so it's good to talk to you. Nice to reconnect. When I watch the U.S. Open, I don't plan my day around it. But then when I turn it on, I go, I'm not doing anything else. I love it. I've, I'm lucky enough to have gone live. And, you know, we had a we had a new group, which historically, when you start thinking about the big three guys and how long they like some of the stats that came up, I go, I can't believe how dominant these three players have been. What is it about tennis? What is it about the love for the sport for you? Yeah, I, I was one of the few sports that actually had some skill and talent in as a kid. So I, I played it when I was younger. And I think I was drawn to the sport in the early 70s. Jimmy Connors was coming along. Um, it's weird to work with Chrissy Everett because she was coming along about the same time on the women's side. And, and I was drawn to the, the young energy. You know, I, I liked when Connors beat the shit out of Rosewell at Wimbledon, which much like these younger guys are, are starting to have their way with some of the legends because I could relate more to a younger player. So in the early 70s, I began to follow the sport, um, got, got lucky enough that we, we finally got enough tennis at ESPN in the early 2000s that they let me do it, go off of basketball, join tennis sort of on a full-time basis in 2003, and just been covering majors since then. I've, I've actually called way more tennis matches than football games and, and enjoy it equally. But uh, yeah, it's just the, it, it takes you great places around the world, as you know, uh, including New York City and Wimbledon and and yeah, I, I feel a genuine enthusiasm for calling a first round match at some small tournament as I do, you know, calling a big final or a football game. I, I've just always gotten the same kind of pleasure. I love the people we work with. The tennis team is awesome. So there's really nothing I don't like about it. Yeah, the longevity of the sport is you know, it's like some of the things that we're seeing with Brady or LeBron James. Like you're just starting to see different things. Uh, I think on the female side too. Like historically, some players have longevity; others completely burn out. So when you look at somebody like Serena with that resume and to finish in New York City and to have like every moment for her felt like you were watching history again. What's it been like following her entire arc? That is as impressive as any single player. Yeah, it sure is. I mean, on the men's side, you've got the big three, but Serena has sort of stood alone on the women's side. Uh, since she emerged from Venus's shadow. Yeah, I was down there in 2003 at the Australian Open, had no business really calling women's final. I wasn't experienced enough at that point, but they, they asked me to do it. And Serena completes the Serena slam by beating Venus in the final. So I, I feel privileged to have been ringside for a lot of her great moments. I've also called some bitter disappointments, which have happened later in your career. But there's an energy about her that comes through the screen, that connects across the landscape not just tennis fans, not just sports fans. And that was never, you know, more pronounced than at this U.S. Open where her, her matches just became events. And the buzz was incredible. I wish she could have kept going. A couple more rounds. Got to call her first two. Her third match, I was in Columbus getting ready for Ohio State Notre Dame when, when she lost. And I was thinking, oh, if she just got that one more, could have come back Sunday and picked up the story. But um, it, it had to end at some point. But, yeah, I mean, so – so privileged, Ryan, just to, to call her matches. What what a fighter. What a symbol. What an example. 
you know, just a, a source of strength and, and empowerment for not just women. I, I try to make this point. It's not just women. It's not just people of color. It's everybody who tunes in, I think, can gain strength and inspiration from her example. All the years of college football, you know, and, and, and I don't know if ego is the right word for some of the head coaches over the years, but there, oh, it there, is. Can, there can be some <laughs> similarities. And then when we realize the differences, it can be just as fascinating because you'd be like, no, every coach thinks he can do it somewhere else. Every coach wants the next challenge. Um, all of these athletes, like they doubt themselves the least when we're feeding them with doubt. So when you think about Serena's personality and getting to know her again, this is almost 20 years for you. Are there more similarities that you see with her or more things that you think stand out and make her different? You mean similarities to other players or, or great athletes? Just, great yeah, just great, great figures in sports like she is. I think she's got in common that she's been fueled by doubt of other people. I mean, she gains strength from that. She always thinks of herself as being an underdog, which is ironic because she's the ultimate favorite. She's always expected to win every time she takes the court. In, in her prime years, for sure, for which is about 20 years. But she sees herself as a girl from Compton who grew up playing with Venus on the public courts and, and came as an outsider and sort of imposed herself in a sport that initially wasn't that accepting. And so I, I think she carries that with her in the way that Jordan did, many other athletes, even though they became incredibly successful and dominant in their sport, they still saw themselves as being doubted and fueled by, you know, Michael, you know, missing the cut in high school basketball. I think he he never got over that. And the fact that Serena was in her big sister's shadow and watched Venus succeed earlier and watched Venus drub her when they played head to head. I think that's part of it, too. You can't discount the fact that she was always the younger sister who was fighting and striving to catch up to Venus. And, and that just continued to fuel her. But there, there's it, it's hard to really put into words because it, it I don't think there's a lot of athletes that are in that, that category uh, at all in any sport. So um, to say that she's got things in common. Yeah, but she's got them in greater degree and a deeper reservoir. And, and, and it is physically amazing. I mean, she not only lasted after 40, she she won a Grand Slam while pregnant. She came back after giving birth and being a mom and playing in four more Grand Slam finals. We don't, we don't see that. That just doesn't happen. There you go. That was exactly the answer that I wanted. That's why you're just so good at this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> calling tennis, calling. You are terrific on laying out. It's an instinct. It, it's one of the Tarico things that he told me when I first got started. He goes, the times you don't speak make the times you do speak that much stronger. The points you make versus the points you don't make. You know, don't try to make 10, make two good ones. Um, how have you developed the instinct to know when to let the crowd tell the moment? Um, good question. Thank you, by the way. Part of it is it's hard to yell over the crowd. At the U.S. Open, I mean... It is so loud that if you tried to talk right after a point or when they're going crazy, you just get smothered. Um, that's part of it. Wimbledon's very different. Wimbledon, we're on a glass-in booth. It's not open air. So um, when you're yelling, you're yelling in a very small room, and it feels a little weird. But um, I think with tennis, if you want to get weedy for just a second how you do it, football's a see-it-say-it sport. So is hockey, basketball. They move so quickly. When you see it, you have – only a split second to filter it. You're picking your words very much on the fly. In tennis, when you watch a point unfold, if it's a lengthy rally, you know you might have 10 things pop into your head. What am I going to say when the rally's over? But then it continues and you see some other shot and forget that. And you're constantly editing in your head. And sometimes you end up saying nothing at the end of a point. You shelve all of it because the point speaks for itself. We had a lot of that 
um, in the in the last few rounds as Carlos Alcaraz was making his run to the trophy. His matches were electric. There wasn't much to say. Um, you know, it's also like one or two in the morning when people are watching, so you don't need to be screaming at him. I, I think that the crowd largely speaks for itself and the pictures speak for themselves in tennis. So that I enjoy that piece of it. Um, you know, you you begin to think about what am I going to say to frame this match when it's done? And you can't script that ahead of time because it, it changes 10 times in the course of a three or four hour match, right? So there's a lot of that thinking on the fly, editing, and then, and then having the sense to shut up and not say anything uh, quite often. And, and John and Patrick are very good at that too. John, John was in the booth. Patrick McEnroe was, was on the court. So it's an interesting three person dance. They have good chemistry, obviously hardwired as brothers. And it's, it's a challenge that all three of us take on to, to share the oxygen in the, in the broadcast and also not, not drown it out. So, you know, you said something in the beginning when you were like, hey, in 2003, I probably shouldn't even have been calling a final, you know, and you're thinking, <laughs> OK, well, the guy's been at ESPN since 1986. Like why? And and knowing you, you know, I, I, we're not I, I think I know a li- little bit about you that you're holding yourself to a standard. Um, and that has more to do with what you think about the job that you're doing. Whereas when I watch you on game day, I'm like, this guy is so locked in, no teleprompter, all the prep and all the stuff like it's just if people truly understood it and I didn't understand until I worked in television, worked in radio to go like, okay, this guy's doing something different. What kind of standard do you hold yourself to on the college football? Because a little bit later then the Saturday night game became your game, the big bowl games. And of course the national championship, what did you do to get better at it? Because I'm sure that's kind of how you looked at it and evaluating yourself. I think you always have to improve. I still want to get better at it. I still think I can. I think I need to, it's not just, um, you know, it's a wish it's essential to continue to want to improve. Um, I felt it's been tough to improve in football the last few years because we had the COVID year with empty stadiums, no energy, no access to players and coaches like we had before. So I really felt like it was impossible to meet that standard. I had to sort of modify it a bit. Um, 21, we got a little bit better. You know, it, it's it's totally different than covering tennis. Tennis, you prepare, not having to relearn really the personalities or the names. Obviously, there's two people on a court, so you, you can take a deeper dive. Football, I think college football, Firstly, is the most challenging sport to call. Others might dispute that. I've done only two NFL games, but the roster size is smaller, Ryan. We know that. It, you know, the, the tempo offenses in college have made it different. We can't have a broadcast sound like Keith Jackson sounded or, you know, Kirk Gowdy or the, 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 the great, and even Brent. I mean, things have changed so much that the audience has changed. The tempo of the sport has changed. It's gotten faster and louder. I don't just mean... Um, the broadcasters. So adapting to that uh, and then and then still trying to to layer in, prepare better, be more efficient. Like I didn't meet my standard at Ohio State Notre Dame. Just wasn't good enough. Was bothered by it. Part of it is that you, you know, no excuses, but you are doing tennis for four days. Serena's matches took a ton of energy. Um, it is the first time I've done that particular job in about nine months. So I, I thought I sucked in certain places in that game in ways that you hope not too many viewers notice, but I certainly noticed. Um, I don't know if Kirk felt felt to that degree, but I think we felt like it could have been a lot better. And so it was cool to be able to go back the next day and call tennis, just cleanse the palate. Football, when you don't have a broadcast that measures up, when the game's a blowout and you waste all this time preparing and you don't use any of the stuff because it's a 30-point game in the second quarter. We had a whole season of that, by the way. Every game we did was like that. And it's then you got to wait a whole week 
to try to meet your standard again. So the rhythm of the sport um, is, is tough when you're not feeling good about how things are. But again, uh, I, I think I can do a pretty good job. It's just I, I'm trying to meet my own standard. And that's really what matters to me, not not any kind of pundit or critic or you got to pay attention to your customers, whether they're satisfied or not matters, but but they're never going to judge it as harshly as I am. Wow. Okay. Did you watch or did you just know? Did you go back and watch any of it? I didn't have time to watch it. Typically, I would, but I we were right into the second week of the Open. Usually, it's a lot, it feels a lot better when you watch it back than when you felt when you watched it, you heard it live. I just, you know, there was a couple of calls. It, it just wasn't a good night um, that I wanted it to be. And, you know, and then you see the 10 million people watch the game. <laughs> okay. That was one of the higher watch regular season games in a while. I wish I'd nailed every call. Um, we we got we we got the plot lines basically right. It's just that the mechanics of the job are right? so um I feel like you're on a tightrope a lot when these tempo offenses, you're just trying to balance um the the speed of of, of which you you're you're sort of calling things and again not trying to sound frantic, which is hard. When you get two up-tempo offenses going against each other, and you just have to be disciplined and pull back and, and offer less. A story might be a great personal interest story. Might be one line. You might have to have a one-line version of that ready. Then you maybe have a, a two- or three-line version ready if you get a breath. And then you have, okay, if something really happens, we have a stoppage of play. I can tell the whole story about his grandfather or this or that or whatever the story is. But often, you don't get ch- time to do that. So I started in play-by-play, which is a joke because I had never done it. And the minor league baseball team was like, you have a deep voice and no one listens. And when you said it's, you know, it's baseball, see it, say it on radio, I didn't quite understand the advantage that I had. Because if it's on radio, make sure you get it all. And then you can tell everybody what happened and nobody's going to know the difference. But I prepped like crazy because I was insecure. I prepped like crazy. I would be like, all right, 2-2, fouled away. Well, he was a rule five draft pick and dot, 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 dot. And it's like when you're young, you go, well, I prepped it. I wrote it down in my notes. I have to use it at some point. And as you get older, you get more experience. You realize like you might use 10% of this. It's there to be there, but it's not there because you have to use it. And then I did a couple NBA games, which is insane that I ever did NBA games, but it was only because I was at the affiliate and I was free. I wasn't going to cost him anything. So <laughs> I never, I never quite got it down. But the storytelling part of it is... It's great because in blowouts, you're going to have to have the story. And this is what I like about you and Kirk so much. And I've said it to Kirk, so he knows this as well, is you've been a part of the college football world now for decades. And you intertwine the game with the important stories as well as any broadcast team going right now, because you know not to like, hey, I have the story. I need to use it. If it doesn't fit with the story that's happening on the field, then we don't need it. And let's let's intertwine it. And the other thing that I like about you, and this is because of the experience, because I noticed it this weekend with lesser experienced teams, is those production meeting moments where <laughs> some of them are great, some of it is an incredible insight, and some of it is just absolute bullshit peddling. <laughs> and they want you and Kirk so badly to talk up what this program is about now or what this new coach is instilled and how they're aggressive and there's just a different vibe. And you two are so seasoned that you're not going to but you're not going to fall for that, I think, the way others would that aren't in the college football world as long as you have been in it. I I know exactly what you mean. I listen to a ton of games. I screen a whole bunch of games. I'm not going to disparage anybody specifically, but I know what you're saying. It, it, it's very evident that they are compelled to be mouthpieces for the program, for the coach, for the player. 
and, and that's normal. I mean, you get enthusiastic about a program when you're around it. Um, it's hard to not, not have that happen. I mean, look, it, it, when, I, when you're very impressionable, when you're younger, you're not around it as much. Yeah. It's hard to resist that. So go ahead. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And I think also, too, you know, let's say you got some I, I, I do dive into analytics. I have a, a person that I hire, a, a young person specifically to go around the databases of pro football focus and our databases. We take a lot of it in. You can really ruin a broadcast by overusing it. But I like to have it there. So if a, if a DB is getting picked on in this game, I like to know whether that's par for the course or that's the exception. Um, I, if, if a guy is not run blocking well, I want to know what his grade was. Is this an off night for him or is this a problem area for this team? And you don't always get that from the coach. That's another example. There's the production meeting stuff. There's there's what you see at practice. There's a, what you see on tape, which generally is more the analyst world. I mean, Kirk is tremendous at looking at tape. And a lot of what you're going to hear in a broadcast comes from his own eyes. He's going to value that way more than, than data or what a coach tells him. So, uh, you know, there's all these different things that sort of compete for your, your bandwidth. And then, as you said, a small amount actually gets on the air. So I, I always tell young people who do this, I, I don't think you can over-prepare, but you can absolutely overuse your preparation. And, and you know, if it's, if it's Keely Ringo making a pick six to seal, I still get goosebumps thinking about that moment. That's one of my the favorite things I've been able to call. And, and the story about his mom having cancer, we didn't get that in all game. He just, it just didn't fit. And the game is frantic and the game is close and it's in doubt. But he makes a pick six to seal the championship. And he's overcome as he would be. And just have just knowing that story by the backs of what his mom had had to do struggling to get to his games and how much her example of strength meant to him eventually found its way in at the very last minute of the game. But we had it there and it fit. It's just you often hear. And I've been guilty of it many times until you figure it out a little bit better. You, you smother a game because you just you want to just get stuff in, get stuff in. And, and um, it takes a lot of restraint. What's your favorite game that you've called? I mean, your, your national championship run of the Clemson back to backs and then the Georgia first Bama one with the two will come back and all that. What, yeah. What's the one moment that resonates with you the most? I mean, I'll give you three examples. The two Rose Bowls that there were USC Penn State, the wild game when it was Saquon and Juju going crazy. And there's a touchdown, like I think on four or five consecutive plays. It was crazy. That's the Sam the Darnold Bowl, one, right? Pardon? Sam Darnold, quarterback. Yeah, yeah. yeah USC right. held yeah. on late win, uh, but it was McSorley and Saquon. It was, they're two amazing offenses. And the Rose Bowl, it was just an exhibition game. You just, that's sacrilege, but it, it wasn't a playoff game. And then the next year, we get the Georgia Oklahoma. OT playoff game at the Rose Bowl. So the setting of that place elevates whatever happens on it. So I always have a special feeling for calling Rose Bowls. Th those two games stood out even more than, than the championship games. I, I was sick as a dog. The Georgia-Bama game in Atlanta, I had like a fever. I, I probably would have tapped had it been a regular season game or at least, you know, considered it because I, I really had no business working. And so that game is a total blur, like the one that Devontae Smith catches a touchdown to win. I mean, there's pieces of that game I don't really remember. I had to go see Scott, our buddy, on the set. I was like shivering. I was, I was just really sick in that game. So that was not a favorite game, even though calling a walk-off touchdown to win a championship, I might never do that again. But that wouldn't rank there. People are surprised just because I felt like shit the whole, the whole night. 
Um, and there's one other game, Ryan, which was a regular season game, which hardcores will remember. It's the Tyler Trent game at Purdue when Purdue upset Ohio State. Buckeyes were a huge favorite. We were very dialed in on Tyler's story. We, we, both Kirk and I knew him, knew his family. And, uh, man, I, I get emotional thinking about it. He, he shows up there uh, at the game somehow. He was extremely – he was suffering big time. They got him to the car. They got him to the stadium. They got him to the press box. And he had the one wish uh, as he was fighting cancer, which was to see Purdue upset Ohio State, for him to be there to see it. And it was just a magical night. And Ohio State was much better. But Purdue couldn't lose. Rondell Moore is making plays. There were a lot of great touchdown calls there. And I, I still am. I'm getting slightly – I'm fighting it off. But I, I get very emotional thinking about that game just because of what it meant. Cancer has touched so many of our lives, mine included. Uh, in terms of loved ones. And it was just powerful, man. I, I knew that I, I probably would never call anything like that again. And sometimes on the anniversary of that game or uh, Tyler's passing, you know, they'll get reposted and or I get messages about it. And um, man, that, that's right there because I, I don't think I'll quite experience those emotions ever again. This episode is brought to you by Netflix. A gentleman always opens the door for you, but the gentlemen are just as likely to break it down and stash their drugs inside. The Gentleman, based on Guy Ritchie's award-winning film, is a new Netflix series that follows a whole new cast of criminal lords and ladies slumming it in Britain's criminal underworld. Guns out and pinkies up. Don't miss The Gentleman, now playing only on Netflix. When you were on game day, I... Love that I knew that you could go toe to toe with anyone on the information <laughs> part of it. You know what I mean? Like really, like and, and, and we had a couple moments on the road. I'll never forget A and M. It was the rematch of Manziel against Bama. You know, game two. That was a College Station, and we were we were in the hotel lobby. I think there was live music, and I came in from a dinner. And you know, we didn't screw around on Friday nights because you had a show to do the next day. And I see you in the lobby, and you've got all these notes out. And I sat down, I had a beer with you. And it, this, this, you know, again, it meant a lot to me this moment because. I was like, what's going on? You know, and you were kind of your own way. And I'm also that way. So in the beginning, I didn't really know, you know, like I, I didn't expect we were going to be best friends. I remember asking Billy Fairweather about you one time. And Billy was like, okay, I can't wait to hear what he had to say. <laughs> he goes, well, Fowler, you know, he's uh, he's living in Aspen. He's living in New York City. He's in Manhattan. And, you know, his wife's into fitness. You know, he's not going to, he's wired a little different kid. He's not going to give a shit about you. So I was like, you know, and, and <laughs> <laughs> That's a, good Billy, that's a good Boston Billy impression, by the way. For yeah. people who don't know what he sounds like, that's pretty damn close. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've spent some time with him, so I, I, we've been able to get it down. So, uh, you know, you're sitting there with all your notes out, and you're getting ready. And, I, I, you know, I'd heard – I remember Fitting being like, you have no idea, man. He's, he's an alien. He's an alien. Like, he's not going to use prompt uh. He's not going to do any of these things. How did, you, how did you define the way you anchor game day, which I don't think is going to happen anymore? I don't know if that – host, but I'm not afraid to be an analyst here when I need to do it. I don't think that exists. And of course, I've tried to do it. And I just don't think people don't like it. And in television, I don't think it's going to happen. I think people have tried. I don't think that's ever going to be repeated the way you did that show. Well, the span of the show, Ryan, was so it grew and changed so much. Right. So in 1990, we're in the studio. It's me and Corso. Bina was there sometimes. And it was a half hour and nobody watched the game after it and it had no footprint. It was on life support. So we nurtured it a little bit. I mean, a, a, the core group of people. But then if you're sitting with Corso, 
How can you not play analyst? He's going to say some of the craziest shit that has to be checked. You have to counter it, Vino, the same way. So I think of college football being such a sport driven by opinions, it lends itself much more to that kind of a host role than maybe NFL, NBA, I don't know, something else. I mean, I, when I was doing horse racing, I was not offering opinions that would counter what Jerry Bailey and Randy Moss were saying, okay? I, I knew my lane, I, and I've done plenty of things like that, X Games, NASCAR. There's going to be no opinions from me because nobody cares. I'm not qualified. But football, you, you got to have an opinion if you're going to sit in, the, in a seat. And we, it was such a small cast that I, I, now you got like, I look at game day, there's six dudes on the set. I think Reese's role is different when you got five other people up there. Um, certainly you're much more point guard and less two guard in that, in that role. Um, or you just a quarterback and gets the ball out of their hands very quickly and lets the playmakers do their thing. I, I used to scramble quite a bit. And I enjoyed that. But, you know, if you want to beat the analogy up, I, I think that... <laughs> I do come from this planet, by the way. I wasn't dropped off here. And I, I'm thoroughly human with all the foibles and all the weaknesses. No, but it's funny because I, when I met you, I mean, I probably gave the impression that I said that I don't give a shit about people. I did feel a huge responsibility when I was doing that show. And it all came to a head on Friday night because it is, it is unprompted. It is unscripted. And it changes a lot. And as you know, in this sport, information comes flooding in late. You get stuff on Thursday and Friday. And as the show grew, it got longer. It got denser. The audience got way better educated. I, I don't want to tell a long story, but when I started doing game day, you didn't have access to read out of town newspapers. There's a website called ecola.com where I could go read the, the paper in Eugene to see what's going on with the ducks. But few people knew how to find that. And, and that's the, that's the, that was what the audience was like when we started doing game day. Well, now, of course, I mean, they're, they're so informed. They're so bombarded with information on ESPN all week and other places. You had to try harder. You had to dig a little deeper, try to be a little smarter than you used to be because the audience was. So all of that stuff, I think I felt as a burden. I mean, Tom Arnaldi took me aside one time. We did game day outside Wrigley Field, which is where I grew up going to games. I'm a, I'm a Cubs fan from birth. My grandmother introduced me to sports and the Cubs. To have game day there was a special thing. And he kind of like metaphorically like shook me by the head and said, are you not enjoying this? Because it doesn't look like you're having that much fun. And, you know, and, and he said, you have to show your gratitude. You have to show your appreciation. He didn't say it that way, but that was the message. And he's absolutely right. It was an important conversation because when you're in that position, other people do look to you. And, and if you're not showing your joy, they're probably not feeling it. If you're, if you're in a bad mood, they can be in a bad mood. There's responsibility when you host a show like that. As accomplished and as great a people as they are around you, they still look to that position regardless of who's in it. So I was, for years very wound up about the burden and the responsibility of doing game day. And Kirk writes in his book about Fowler was intense, brushing his teeth. He was a day with a man is, you know, I, I, I'm not like that all the time. I'm like that around game day for a period of most of those years. I, I grew out of that. I'm certainly not like that now. I'm nowhere like that when I'm away from work. I, I'm actually pretty chill. I have a lot of interests. I'm not, you know, chewing on data 24-7 over here. But I, I think what I gave off was someone who was uber intense and didn't have time for, any, for, for the 
to enjoy Friday nights out in a college town. Now, when I did sidelines when I was younger, that was different. I enjoyed the hell out of that. I wasn't carrying the broadcast. I had very little responsibility. Um, and then, you know, I, I sort of learned, and now calling games on Saturday night, I have a hell of a time on Friday night. I, I, I'm not I'm not locked in my room in room service. I'm out enjoying life. And that's what I, I don't miss about game day is the wake-up calls and that that burden. But that's probably what you saw, and that's what a lot of people have talked about who are around game day. And I'll say this too, on my podcast, Kirk came on with, with the bear. We told some old stories. There were a lot of years where, and viewers shouldn't have any idea behind this, but but there it was pretty intense behind the scenes. It wasn't a love fest. It wasn't kumbaya. There were some clashing personalities. I've talked about this, not at length, but you know there, there was a lot that went into getting that show to where we got it. It was just hard-ass work, clash of personalities, strong-willed people and egos and and um, I don't I don't even mean the people on the air, but the putting together of that show was super challenging. And, and that was reflected in how, how much I felt I had to put into it and how I didn't enjoy life that much. Yeah, that's really interesting, but not surprising. But again, I only have like I don't pretend to understand all the inner workings. But, you know, when you're on the road with it, I used to go watch your show live before I did mine to be inspired, to be energized. And I wouldn't say I'd ever done that about anything else because I would see it and I would see how control, and you're right, it's different. It's a different show now that it's bigger. The information, like for me, when I was in college, I had to watch that show before my Saturday started because I was going to learn mountains of information because it just, the access to information really changes the way a lot of the viewing works. One of the things that I, and I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if this is funny to you or not funny. I think it's O2. I remember watching the selection show for college hoops because I can, whenever I think about certain things and I have to think about like what my couch and TV setup was. And I'd be like, okay, that's when you were doing play by play my first year. So how do you remember the O2 selection show, man? Well, I don't, I could be off on this. I could be off, Okay, but I remember because I liked Indiana and I picked Indiana against Duke in the bracket that year. And I, it was one of the rare times where I tried to do something different and it worked out. And Vital is picking, he can't believe all the teams that are being left out. And he's just saying it's a tragedy. This team's out. This team's out. And that led to the when you and this is this is different. Not many anchors would have done this. You were like, Dick, you know, somebody's going to be left out. <laughs> and that was the Mr. Fowler when he just started. He got so mad. Was I don't know if it was the O2. I could be combining things. Oh, we got mad at me plenty, right? I, I, I have stories about my dad. We, we, first, I love him. I, I love. I know that. Yeah, we, right. we were very, very close friends. But I, I he also. I screamed at him off the air. I would throw barbs on the air because it was just sort of fun. He could he could throw back, and he, he he didn't have a glass jaw. I don't like working with people that are too sensitive. And and with Dick, you could you could throw haymakers, and you you he would just come right back at you, and he would be fine. And that that was important to me. Um, but no, he do it. He would drive me crazy. I mean, because he wouldn't pay attention. He, again, those selection shows, the shows in the NCAA tournament that we did around the games, and we even had the early round games way back then too. So that was a, it was a lot of fun to do those shows in the studio, but, but it was a super challenge because you had Digger Phelps over there, Dick, they would be clashing different people. I mean, and, and, and Dick just wouldn't listen to the producer he, in the commercial break. He was talking, Oh, Howie, where's my luggage? Where's my lunch? You know, it, it was, it was everything but the segment to follow. And that's <laughs> the only time we had is a little earpiece where, you know, Billy Graff, one of the producers there was telling me Mid-East region, highlight, bracket, uh, look ahead. 
tonight's matchups. Let me go to the Southeast. And, and that's you're trying to take notes and remember it. And that, that's all you got. And he spent on the entire commercial grab assing and talking to people. And it, it just I absolutely boiled over one time. And I don't know. Can, I, can we say there are any words off limits on this? I no, mean, we encourage all words. Forgive people. I hide the kids or it has to be told this way to actually have the impact. Finally, after, and I had bronchitis, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't, I was coughing. Dale Brown, the LSUX coach was over here. He and Digger, they're clashing. Vitale's going nuts. This is a super demanding show with a guest analyst. And I, I was just, I would, I, again, I shouldn't have been doing, I shouldn't have been working. I was that sick. And he, Dick was making life miserable. So finally, after the 10th commercial break, where he just wouldn't be quiet. Forgive me, folks. I turned to him. I said, motherfucker, would you shut the fuck up? And he looks at me and it, it was like, now pin drop. Now it was, it was chaos in the studio. Now it's silence. And they're counting like seven, six, five back from commercial break. He goes, oh, <laughs> takes his lavalier mic. He picks it up off his tie. He's going to throw it down and walk off the set. And we're, and we're, we're three, two. So at the last second, sits back down, puts the mic on, and, and, and he's going, he's giving me like the Malocchio. So I know we're going to have to have a situation. The next commercial, we're going to have to sort this out. In the meantime, he's a total pro, gets through the segment. And, and didn't, he wasn't even bothered. By the end of the show, we were fine. But you know, we, I, I sat at his house at one in the morning uh, a couple months ago when I was there for his charity event telling that story. It was, it's, it's my lowest point in broadcasting, the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in front of 30 people in the studio. Thankfully, it wasn't on the air, but but that's the sort of that's the sort of uh, moment that that duress brings on when you're dealing with a lot of the characters that I've dealt with. <laughs> I've never told that to Corso, though. I've never used those words to Corso. <laughs> See, I, I thought when I was watching him because he he didn't want any teams to be out, and then finally you got so sick of it in the selection <laughs> show. You were like, Dick, some of these teams have to be out." Then he got mad at you, and I was like, "Hey, that's an extension of me." You know, I'm on the couch going, "Hey, we're at 64." Like somebody's going to be left out. Well, that, that was story. almost every year. Oh, the, the little guy, the champion, the little guy. Okay, Dick, we're going to exclude Syracuse. No, 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 Syracuse, Jimmy Bayhawk. Somebody who's got somebody's going to get excluded. He also, <laughs> he, Dick, loved to have his correct picks praised. So shows like this, if you didn't say, "Hey, you got your bracket right," you know, you had Arkansas Little Rock coming through. Awesome job, Dick. Awesome job. You know, if you didn't do enough of that. He would get a little bit bent out of shape. And so we did a show where Dick Digger and myself on one desk. And then in the same studio, like right across there is Reese, Jay Billis, and maybe maybe Brad Doherty or Clark Kellogg. I don't remember who the third guy was. And they and, and Reese was handing out bouquets, spot on Jay, great analysis. And, and Dick had noticed that I wasn't doing my job praising his picks. And he let me know that on the air. Oh, I want to go over there. I want to get some love. I'm going to go over to that side. And so I was very, actually very proud of this, Ryan, because it, you know, we, when you make the crew fall over laughing, I said, well, Dick, fortunately your chair has wheels on it and you can just, and there's, their problem is solved. And it, and he just like, he just, it just stopped him cold. He had to laugh. The whole, the desk was laughing over there. The crew was falling over. It, it's just one of those things. I'm, I'm not necessarily proud of being a smart ass in the moment, but, it's sort of like that's why I think fans kind of like those shows, the unscripted free for all nature of them. And there's less and less of that. They're getting shows in general, not not just at ESPN. They're getting cleaner, 
more antiseptic. That that's that kind of thing doesn't happen as much. I would I would say, um, and there are examples of yes. I don't I don't mean like the um, the opinion driven shows. The first take there's plenty of that going on. But in terms of the selection shows, the the wraparound shows, the NCAA tournament, the football wraparound shows. I think there's there's just less of an appetite for that. Maybe maybe there should be. Uh, there's too much turnover. Uh, the chemistry that is built over time is irreplaceable you can't you can't fake having that kind of stuff you know the radio show with scott and i i know it was great i know it was something that people really liked it wasn't it didn't really turn a corner until like year three and you know this is probably a little different but i think when the management structure has its own turnover management will decide hey these are my people you know and no no these are my people and that person that's aligned with you is out and now all of a sudden and so i don't know how you replicate any of the chemistry that you had not saying Everything is perfect, but there's, I always feel like at ESPN, there's kind of this OG class that is protected and forever. And if you notice, like that group seems to be able to work and, and kind of jump into different things more seamlessly than when you're asking people that haven't worked together and haven't been challenged in a bunch, bunch of different ways. And then you're making a decision. Like I'm not even critical of the decision of, of whatever opportunity it is. It's more of, what do you expect when it's such a short time frame that you're expecting the results that we've seen historically in other shows that had years to develop this stuff? Yeah, I think that's exactly true. I also think, too, it's, it's harder and harder for people to remember to be themselves, be authentic and organic. And the people I'm talking about, that's who they are. That, that They're not trying to impress. They're not trying to be someone else they've seen on the air because, look, that gets rewarded. That gets that, that dude's getting paid. He's getting promoted. He's getting sniffs from other networks. I better aim for that. And there, that's been, there's a ton of that at a lot of places in broadcasting, but ESPN, just the sheer numbers of people we have, that's been a factor too. And then you can't blame them. You're, you're trying to stick out from the pack. You're trying to rise to the level you're talking about where you do have some security. And, and how do you do that? Well, you, you, in some cases, you try to emulate other people that have, that, that have gotten there. And that might mean you're stepping out of your own lane not being authentic. I have two more things that I want to get to here. Uh, but I remember Scholastic Sports America, you know, junior high. I'd be like, hey, this guy, I'm 13 evaluating you, Chris. I'm going, this guy's locked in. Like, I know they're using him on some of these, these high school showcase stuff. But that might be something today, uh, a younger person with an ego and, and some idea. I mean, like, what are you talking about? I, I'm going to cover what? Now, take me from Colorado intern to wait two years later, you're at ESPN. But what people don't realize is going from Inter to ESPN in 86 maybe isn't the accomplishment no, we think it is no, today. I, I, I'm very quick to point that out. <laughs> Get, getting a job, it, it was not the worldwide leader in anything. I don't even know if it was, I mean, it was, it was seven years old. It, it, it broadcast some decent live events. SportsCenter was certainly, for, for sports fans, was a godsend and it was an institution. Um, but I thought they were maybe calling me to do SportsCenter and I was a year out of school. I looked 11 years old. I mean, I, when I did that high school show, maybe 10 and a half. I mean, I was so young looking at that time that the idea of putting like Doogie Hauser anchor on SportsCenter would have been laughable. But I didn't know why they were calling me. Then I found out it was a high school sports show. And people said, oh, don't take that. That's, you, can't, you can't do that job. ESPN, eh, I don't think so. Go read scores. And these are actual places where I, I could have gone and worked. Wichita. Um, Manchester, New Hampshire, um, the third guy in Cincinnati, 
I, I was I was fortunate enough to we flew around, did some auditions, and actually got some offers. I, I was working at a top twenty market. This was in Denver, was it was a big TV market, and I was doing stuff on the air out of school, not anchoring, but I had a tape. ESPN got the tape, called me, and I thought I thought, oh my god. No, no, it's, it's a show called Scholastic Sports America. It's not live. It's weekly. It's a startup. Your office is going to be in a trailer out in the parking lot. We don't even have space for you in the building. Um, and, and that was it. And we were on the road for 40 weeks, flying way behind the curtain at, at Piedmont Airlines to go around to these places. All these airlines that we used to fly are defunct. Uh, but, but that was a valuable experience, man. You can't be afraid to strain, you know, that's a used word in sports a lot, but I, I think that, you know, yeah, I got the gig early, but it was really hard work and very unglamorous fun. But man, I just, I just gave myself to my job for about the first, I don't know, six or eight, maybe even 10 years at ESPN, going from that to sidelines in football to basketball studio at the same time. And then, do, then eventually jumping into, um, uh, take over for, for Tim Brando and Bob Carpenter on game day. They, they were the initial two hosts of the show in the late eighties. But, you know, it, it, there, there were a lot of times when I felt underused, underappreciated, damn sure underpaid, but that's all part of the process. And, and, and I, I think that just cause I, I did work, I was extremely fortunate to get the job at a young age there. But I did. I'd have to work my way up, and I did pay my dues, and it was frustrating. You know, it, it's like more or less the OG guys, Berman, Bob Lee, Tom Meese, were helpful. But at the same time, they see a kid is like, what? What? what, what I got. I got um, mistook for a high school student when I was working at ESPN in the hallways, taping features on high school kids. Because I would dress, I would just dress in jeans and a sweater or a polo or something, and they thought I was a high school student. Asked me for hall passes. I'm not kidding. The crew would just die laughing. I was like, "No, no, I'm, where's your pass, son? You should you should be in class." No, Mister Assistant Principal. I'm actually like a college graduate that, you know, big time TV. <laughs> so that's how young I looked. That's how preposterous, Ryan, it would have been for me to like get a major gig then. I mean, I looked still like baby face when I when I started doing studio stuff but like lucky to have the gig but it wasn't like now it wasn't like getting an espn job now a year out of school that that just i, I everybody thinks that there's some magic formula as you know from being there that that is far from the truth that's that's kind of exactly what i had expected but to have the instincts to go no no let me get under this umbrella and here we are all these yeah, years you know later what? you know I, I tell this to people listen to your gut that's the only thing that told me to go to espn and the reason why is it felt fun. The energy was good. I respected the hell out of the company as a sports fan. I knew it wasn't traditional, but I, I didn't want traditional. I, I had seen too many people who, who, as great as they were at it, were reading scores at 6 and 11, year after year. Um, and then they'd go to the bar. And I was with them sometimes trying to learn from them and just trying to be, you know, a junior member of the sports staff. And I... I I didn't want my life to look like that. I mean, no, no disrespect. I just wanted something else. And, and so the non-traditional approach did it. But if you listen to well-intentioned people who are wiser than you, more experienced than you, you'll still get a lot of bad advice. If it counters what you feel inside, I tell kids this all the time. First of all, clear away the static. 
your, your gut's not always going to be right, but it has a better chance of being right if you can just take ego, money, all that stuff out of it. It was never about um, exposure or money for me. It was simply what is going to be more fulfilling and more fun. And it seems stu- stupid to, to say that I made decisions based on that, but that's really what it was. I did the high school show for two years. They wanted me to go to LA and be the sports center, the first ever sports center LA bureau guy. So now you're covering pro sports, USC. How could this guy not want to do that? Being young and single in LA over Bristol and you do a high school show. It just didn't feel right. And I, so I said no, and they were stunned. You, you often don't get away with that in this business. When your employer wants you to do something and you say, eh, I'm not feeling it, that, that, can, be, that can be fatal. So I didn't even, maybe didn't realize that at the time, but it was a risk. And I said, no, I, I just, I don't want to do that. Thank you. A month later, they called and said, how about doing sidelines of college football? Yes, absolutely. And features on game day. And then, so if, I, if I'd said yes, totally different path, we're not here talking. I don't know what would end up in college football or not. So those moments, if you're lucky enough to have them, to, to see at that time, the cross in the road and, and, you know, this path just feels right. For some reason, you don't even know, but it feels right. I'm, I'm a big believer. I'm, I, I preach that ad nauseum on Instagram and other places about, about making your own choices and clearing away the static and listening to your heart and your gut or whatever you want to call it, because um, those are, are really important guides in life, I think. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the times were, you know, when I would tell somebody who doesn't understand it, be like, what did you do? You know, like we you left, why you left, you left, or you, yeah. how much did they offer or whatever? And again, you know, like everybody's money neighborhood is, is different, but, uh, I still think, I still think based on your talent, we eventually learned about that things would have, things would have worked out for you. You mentioned Instagram though, and I, and the, the jeans <laughs> and looking like a high schooler in your mid twenties, I don't know if we can share this with everybody, but I know, you know, not that long ago, uh, a happy 60th to you. Yeah. Thank and you, sir. And so I, I like you believe that, that heavyweight training is the fountain of youth. And now that you've shared these theories with people, it's <laughs> you, I'm, I don't know if ESPN, if, if building four is worried about your next contract negotiation, knowing they're going to have to deal with Chris Fowler, the influencer, or just, you know, the personal trainer, because now everybody wants to know everything. People are buying trap bars because of your videos. Uh, no, they're not. But thank you. No, I, I think it's that, that's an that's an original passion of mine is fitness. And, um, you know, I, I fortunately, I mean, I, not not forever. Like I, I was I abused myself, didn't sleep enough, drank too much, ate the wrong stuff and didn't train often enough. When I, I'm way fitter now than I was in my 30s for a lot of those years, which is only possible if you're not very strong and fit in your 30s. Because if you weren't, it's never too late. I do believe that I do believe you can be fitter and stronger. I mean, we're pushing the envelope with the big six up, but certainly in your 50s, as you know, you can get old man strength. You can train the hell out of your body and, and have it do things it couldn't do before as long as you weren't an elite athlete. If you were an elite athlete, guess what? You're not going to get back there at this stage. But Yeah, really, really what de- we're doing is making up for the fact that yeah, we exactly. weren't. Yeah. You can slow the decline. You can make up for the fact that you were a shitty athlete and didn't take yourself health seriously when you were younger. But now, you know, I just figured, I do think longevity is a piece um, way more important is overall wellness, mental health going and going, uh, uh, very much hand in hand with, with physical health for me and training. So th- those are the reasons it's not, I, I think I can say, look into this camera and say, honestly, it's really not about aesthetics. I mean, everybody likes to get compliments, but it's really just about feeling good 
man. And I, I, with that big six, I don't care what you say. It's daunting. Like it's, it's a number, but it's a big ass number. Okay. So you start to think about that as it approaches. And I did all summer and I was out in Colorado, hiking my ass off, climbing mountains, um, went to Iceland for my birthday, climbed volcanoes, did a whole bunch of stuff with my brother. And, and really on the day that that milestone arrived felt phenomenal. I just felt, felt very healthy, felt great. Um, and that, that helps ease the burden <laughs> that and a little bit of tequila, which I will never stop. But I, I think that, you know, that, that piece going forward, I mean, I, I, I am not an expert in fitness, man. I mean, we all, we all know what works for us. I try not to tell people you got to do this. You should do that. I just sort of offer encouragement and, and, and say what works for me because I am qualified to say that. I always say, talk to a trainer. There's way smarter people on Instagram. There's a thousand things you can do to improve your mobility, to get up and move, to figure out proper form on lifts so you don't get hurt. The other piece of it too, Ryan, is I, I did, I've been injured a lot. So by making mistakes, by not training smart, by, not, by taking my mind off of my form on one rep of a set, and that's enough to you up if you're not careful, if you're lifting substantial weight, or even if you're not, you, you forget to you forget to flex your core. Now you tweak your back, and now you're on the shelf for two weeks. I've done that a million times. I mean, so, but you learn hopefully over time. And by having the pec tendon ripped off the bone on the right side and then the left side, like a year and a half later, and surgically repaired, and having to come from five pound weights back to benching more than I could before, more or less, you know, is is really hard work. But I'm so that's why I'm like a soapbox guy for physical therapy, for getting the best that your insurance can afford or that you're able to afford and, and getting someone who will challenge you and challenge yourself because injuries will happen. You get, well, you're not the same age as me, but you know what I'm saying? It, it's just a reality of working wear and tear injuries, not even doing something reckless, but if you've worked out forever, my, these, these things were just wear and tear when the pec tendon rips. I've had four knee surgeries. I've had all kinds of things, you know, go on, but, you don't, it, that doesn't have to ruin your life in fitness. You can bounce back stronger than ever if you work hard and, and smart. I didn't even get to my Iceland notes. I also went this summer. Uh, oh, isn't that isn't amazing? It, that place, that uh, place is on, like, you want to stop every 20 minutes. Like, what I describe it to people, I go, there's all the things that you want to see, but there'll be other times, like, wait, that's not a tourist attraction. That thing right there, like there's nowhere to park and to look at well, this. I so I just like I, I would post pics and go, is that a, is that like a green screen? That's real life, man. And I was asking myself, I'm sure you were too. Like, is is this real? Like, is this actually this vivid green moss on this volcanic rock? And 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 the shapes of these things. And I, I'm we're walking. I'll just tell you one story. I, I do highly recommend anybody go to Iceland. It's a very quick flight from the east coast. But we're, we're, we're driving around this big rock formation on this black sand beach, which is like a half mile wide. And there's no signs. It's not really a tourist attraction. There was not, no one was around. Uh, my brother and I were driving this four-wheel drive through the black beach. We come around the corner and we see this circle of stones, these big stones. There's no way that's random, okay? And come to find out later that that was a Viking ceremonial spot. I would say very many Stonehenge. The blocks are maybe, you know, three or four feet tall. They look like headstones in a perfect circle at the base of this amazing cliff on the sea. Like, that's what's around every corner in Iceland. That's what's cool about it. Like, we were just blown away. 
yeah, I saw some old Viking stuff in the fjords and you yeah. know, you'd be like, what is this? And if you just shot it right, you would have no idea what year it was from. Like you just, you know, if you kept the street sign out of the background, but like saw this area and you go, how old <laughs> is this thing? All right. You said something once that I'll never forget. And it was, you were talking about your career and you were talking about your goals and you said, you know, I just want to be part of, I'm paraphrasing here a bit, but I want to be part of history. I want to be part of chronicling history. I was like, man, do I need to do more? Because <laughs> you wanted your voice to be well, it in these moments. It, yeah. And yeah. I, but I, it's, I think calling a Grand Slam final, I see that every one of them is a piece of tennis history. Um, every one of Serena's matches you know, near the end uh, was, was, was a piece of tennis history. A, a big football game. I mean, not, maybe not your, maybe not Miami at A&M this Saturday, but, you know, the, the championship games, the bowl games, I, I think that's just what I mean by that. And I like to be able to have the, the presence of mind to know that what you're watching will live in the sport and you're lucky enough to be able to call it. Yeah, I, I agree. But it did, there's little things along the way. And, you know, it's you continually kind of sharpen yourself, which I think would surprise people because I think others in the industry, hey, I've got it made. I'm good to go. I've got everything I need to do. And I just knowing you, and talking with you for this long, like, I think it helps to kind of define, like, you're still peaking. You're still trying to reach this moment, which is trying, what makes you trying so Trying to get better. I don't peak. I'm, I'm still, I still think, as I said, improvement is necessary in all phases of life, not just how you do your job. I like to, I, I think, um, you know, to me, just, the, <laughs> I'll get some idea for 15 seconds. The meaning of life is just to live it, but the purpose is just constant daily improvement. And I think in, in some small way, some incremental daily improvement in some way, whether it's your job, how you deal with people, whatever, is really what it's about for me. Before we let you go, a little trivia on the way out, putting you on the spot. Uh-oh. How many active head coaches have national championships? The answer is five. Now you're wondering, why didn't I give you a chance to answer that? That is payback for all of the Saturdays from when Bear <laughs> offers up the trivia question and because you're so studied that I'll be on the couch being like, you didn't give me 10 fucking seconds, Fowler. <laughs> <laughs> well, that number's been growing. I mean, I think we're, there were fewer, you know, and then uh, Kirby Smart gets one and, you know, Dab Dabo's got his few and you know, Jimbo had one and obviously Saban's got more than all of them combined. But I, I think, uh, yeah, well, I, I, That's I always fear, pardon? That's just payback. Sorry. I appreciate I everything you did for this. Because like, wait a minute. I mean, if Bear asks this one every week. because like, I'm not really a trivia expert. That, like, I would not say I can't go toe-to-toe with you or probably a lot of people listening to this in terms of like sports trivia because at some point I figured out the hard drive has to be incrementally erased to, to keep adding new stuff in there. I don't think we have an unlimited amount. At least I don't. There are I know people that think like that, that have that kind of mind. And it just doesn't matter what else happens. They can just add on to their photographic memory, and that hard drive is endless. I don't feel like mine is endless. I have to, I have to let some stuff go. <laughs> I, I didn't expect even to get an hour with you, man. So I, I uh, really appreciate the time. I can't wait for the rest of the season, and this was a lot of fun for me. So I hope you had fun. You know, I had a blast. It went by really quick. I didn't even know it was an hour. I wasn't watching the clock, but uh, you do a great job. I, I appreciate the, the the different things we got into, and um, hope others did too. And anytime, man. Yeah, hopefully we'll see you on the road soon. 
This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one moment and available lounge sheets that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. I want Iguadala. We talked about it before the season got started, so we're just trying to get to that first week. Uh, this is Worst Take podium nominees, as you can hear Max Kellerman coming in, who we did ask about the Iguodala thing, to be fair, but that one's, that one's not eligible. It has to be a recent one, and we all have, I think we just have a bunch now, Saruti, that we're going to go through, then we'll decide the three that are on the podium, and the plan is is that each week we'll nominate one, each, each of the three of us will nominate one and see if we collectively think any of the ones on the podium should be replaced by something new. And to be honest with you, I like that we're kind of easing into this. I mean, there's a few good ones out there, but I don't need a Florio threatening retirement one because that one, if we got that week one, we don't deserve it yet. And that would just stay atop of it. Like the game would be ruined because it's such an aggressive one. I don't know that anything would replace it over the next four months. I I would argue we have a pretty aggressive one uh, that I don't know that's going to be beat that we can get to in a little bit. Also, pretty shocking. We don't have a Florio nominee yet. So kudos to him for keeping it you know locked up. Or maybe yeah. not. Maybe shame. You're right. You know? I don't know. Maybe exactly. I, dudes were, I think, are gunning. Because immediately after we announced this, there were like four or five takes, whether it was ESPN or Twitter or whatever, that like, it felt like it was a direct response to us introducing the segment. So it was. I think we guys were pretty excited. Yeah. And girls. True. Yeah. Uh, all right. What do we want to do? Do we want to? So I've got four clips and then I've got a couple other just like takes that we could do. So why don't we just mix them in and we'll just kind of we'll play them all. And then at the Go end, and at the end, we will figure out what the we'll vote on what the three are. Okay. All right. We'll start with an audience. You know what? Let's just start with uh, let's just start with I think this is the earliest one. This is a very good one. They actually could play together. And if Russell Westbrook has the right mindset, Patrick Beverly and Russell Westbrook actually could be the most dangerous defensive backcourt in the NBA. Fire. Yeah, I love Perk, but I'm I'm now, it's on my own personal mission now to hold people accountable for suggesting Westbrook's any good on defense. It just doesn't make any sense if you've played if you watch. There's no version of events over the last, I don't know how many years, five, six, seven years, uh, he has, he has, all of his instincts are wrong on defense. So yeah, he's athletic. He sucks on defense. He's been terrible. He's a huge, like he makes so many huge mistakes late in, late in games. We've already covered a million of these things. Um, that I love perk, but it just, it has to be done for anyone that's played when they start talking about Westbrook's defense. We need, we just need to make it like we're helping the community here by doing this. This is not criticism. This is assistance. We really are. We're just trying to hold people accountable. Uh, yeah. that was Kendrick Perkins, by the way, on first take, uh, let's get to another one. This was Stephen A. Smith a couple days before the NFL season started. We've got the best division in football here. Chiefs at Cardinals, Raiders at Chargers, and Broncos at Seahawks. Stephen A., which team in the division will score the most points in week one? I'm going to go with the Chargers. We'll, we'll dive in deeper here. Raiders, Chargers. Who are you backing to win this one, Stephen A.? I don't know. I'm going to go with the Raiders. I'll just go with that What right a day, now. everybody. Right what now. a time to be Shoot alive. Out. Goodbye. Probably won't make the podium. I just love that one so much. <laughs> That's like a cheat code to make the podium. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so, and honestly, like I'm not even. This isn't even making. Like this stuff happens. They're doing live TV. You just you know, like this was right one after another. The music changed, but I just cut off a little bit. But it was basically right after another. 
he forgot, man. He forgot that he said the Chargers were going <laughs> to score the most points. And then yeah, I don't even like the game. I don't like that one as a nominee just because I've been there. This has got you journalism. <laughs> and, I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Now I'm already scared of the Uh-oh. segment. Uh, <laughs> that one, I cannot express how many times when you do this for a living <laughs> and you're talking live for as long, especially like, you know, when you're doing it every day for multiple hours, you're just going to have a few, you know, you hope to not have a million so everybody's always pointing them out, but you're going to have a few times where you're like, you know, I've years I've tried to be a credible person and be like, that guy really puts the time in. And then you just completely whiff on something because you forgot because you're on the air. And it's just, it's, you know, it's like sending an email to the wrong person. Does it mean you're horrible at your job? No. But I mean, every now and then something's going to happen where you're like, I want that one back. That one is funny, but I think it's a little, it's not a podium one. Anyway, I'm spending too much time on this. Go That's ahead. That's fine. That's fine. All right. Why don't we do this? Uh, this is, this is a contender. This is a good one. Uh, is again, this hasn't yet to be proven wrong, but this is Bart Scott on Get Up. What do you think about the Kansas City Chiefs this year? I mean, I think they're going to take a step back. I think this is kind of a reset year for them. I Playoffs? I don't think they make the playoffs at all. Uh, I mean, and I'm not even trying to be like tongue in cheek. I'm not trying to be like hot takey. I just look at the division. Now look at the quarterbacks within that division. It's no fear of Patrick Mahomes. Last year, if they're if the, the Chargers defense wasn't so bad, they should have beat him twice. They always have a drag out fight with the Raiders. And now you have Russell Wilson and he's saying, let's ride. Let's see if the Broncos will follow him. Did Andy Reid retire? That, that's what I was just wondering. I, I think, okay. I think well, was- Andy Reid got fired for a reason. Uh, Greeny at the end is incredible because he's just egging him on. He's like his biggest cheerleader. He's like, no, 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 you went too far. No, no. First of all, the way that is set up, they already knew what they were doing. I can tell it. <laughs> I can hear it in Greeny's voice. It was like, you believe they're going to take a step back now. And it's like, fucking go. And it, that take is like one of those peppers that you see kids in videos <laughs> where they take a bite and they're like, hmm, something tingly's going on. And then they're running around the backyard dumping milk on their head. Uh, the, that no one's afraid of Patrick Mahomes. You know, I, I'll say this a lot like to anybody that does this for a living. The number of people that will have a take and they'll use like two or three good examples to back their take and then they decide to throw in three that are terrible. Loose. Yeah. Loose. Then it's yep. like, wait, I was kind of with you a little bit when you now you're reaching so much that I don't trust you and I think you're trying to prove your point so much that now you're just layering on shit that doesn't even matter. Um, yeah, it's kind of like when there's a coaching change and somebody's like, oh, they've had four coaches in 21 months. Be like, well, you're counting the interim coach because four yeah. sounds better than three. Like somebody had to show up to work on week 17. So it wasn't like they fired a third guy throughout of all of it. Uh, that one is that one's huge. Bart is not Bart's got a flamethrower sometimes. So, well, that's what I was going to say, because we've got another honorable mention from him. I, I don't He's got two in the first, the well, inaugural worst take. He also did say, I, I don't know if this is on first take or get up, that he had Jameis Winston winning the MVP this year. Holy shit. <laughs> Which is incredible. <laughs> Which is just great. Uh, so I don't, probably not as hot as the, like, Andy Reid got fired for a reason. Chiefs, nobody's afraid of Patrick Mahomes, but that is a really good one, too. Is, um, is he talking about Andy Reid, though, leaving the Eagles, yeah. and then he's bringing that back around? <laughs> yeah, it has to be. Yes. After yes. he won a Super Bowl with a new team and went yep. to two of them? Yep. Yeah. Got fired for a reason in in Philadelphia. Good times. Couple okay. other really quick ones before we get to what is basically just going to be the juggernaut. David Aldridge uh, at the Athletics said on his podcast that he believes Kyrie Irving would be harder to replace for the Nets than Kevin Durant. Uh, 
That doesn't get enough credit. That that needed more. I didn't know that one. That one needs more attention. I mean, depending on what the angle that is, okay. He's easy to replace because it's all you've had to do since he's been there. It's it's a good one. It's a good one. And then really quickly, Desmond Howard, uh, his college football playoff before the season was Texas A&M, Pitt, Baylor, and Michigan. So no Alabama, no Georgia, no Clemson. I know you had A&M. Yeah, I had AM and and they might get off to a disastrous start here. The offense is so bad. Uh I respect people going for it on their college playoff picks. So I don't I would never put that on the podium. Because I, I I hate just going chalk like everybody else does in the beginning, which is clearly the right way to do it with the lack of parity in college football in the recent years. But although he does kind of ruin it with the homer pick with Michigan. But I I, I respect guys trying to do stuff, even though Pitt almost lost to West Virginia week one. Uh there you All go. Right. um before we get to the to the juggernaut, some people were suggesting that your Tua take from the last podcast about him being yes. a backup should also be on this list. Thoughts? Uh, I could be wrong. I could be wrong about that. And it was more of a, hey, this is what I'm thinking. And normally I wouldn't ever do this, especially after week one. But I, uh, I, I'd always ask anybody this. Like, if you're critical of that, is it because you want Tua to be good because emotionally you feel better? Then I don't want to engage in it. Like, why? My argument is based on watching. There's no emotional reward or uh, disappointment, I guess, for me, one way or the other with this one. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't know that that's, it's to that level, but that's fine. If you get, I liked it a lot. If you want, if you want, the funny thing was, you know, how many people don't listen to the pod that only watch the video? It's like, oh, but you like Mac Jones? Like, so you didn't listen to the pod. <laughs> yeah. Because gotcha. I, I, <laughs> I think the Patriots may legitimately stink. And I have a Belichick segment brewing in my head. That's not that. No, well, I'll take that day off. Yeah, maybe I will. That's all right. Uh, all right. Well, let's get to the one that's probably going to be here for us throughout the season. This was Gilbert Arenas talking about Giannis on his podcast, No Chill. They try to shorten this gap like it's this, like, oh, he's the best player in the league. Not even close. <laughs> just stop. Just stop. It. And I, <laughs> just stop. Like, stop. This, uh, this, so, this gap is so big, but you're trying to always replace the next person by putting it back. Like his work, I can look at his game and say, he doesn't understand basketball yet. He plays the sport. He won a championship. Cool. He doesn't really understand how to be great, how to be better, how to train his body. Oof. So I listened to Gilbert with Camlin, uh, AD, Antonio Daniels on NBA radio, I'm a big fan of the show. And Gilbert came on and said, Giannis is the second best player in the world. I, I had a really hard time with this one because then I listened to the entire interview. I was like, wait, and the longer it went, the more confused I was about the entire thing. I also think there is a massive American bias towards any of the foreign players that is deep seated in a lot of the shit. Um, cause you know, like you don't see Giannis, do you see other guys go up to Giannis the way some of the American guys go up to each other after the fact? I mean, I'm sure there's video of another really great American player giving him love or something like that. I remember LeBron used to draft him in the all-star draft cause he would hope that deep down Giannis would be like, man, he selected me number one for his all-star team. I will leave Milwaukee and play with LeBron. Uh, which I, you know, again, it's not what happened, but it's why I took him. I don't know. Uh, 
this one, this one confused the hell out of me. Cause then I went, cause you know what I mean? Like I, it's Rudy, I listened to the entire arenas interview and I still, after that, I was more confused than, than the initial part of it, but it is a big time one. It's a big time one because I get Gilbert's point on some of the skill stuff, but after what Giannis has done in the last two playoff seasons, you kind of have to just go, yeah, his skill is just being more dominant than you. Sorry. I mean, doesn't know how to take care of his body. Like if anybody knows how to take care, I mean, that guy is he just exploded with muscle over the course of like what you know since he came to the league till now the yeah. guy it's like a Dwight Howard like transformation it's unbelievable so Dwight I, don't, was I don't know about that Dwight was bigger than Giannis coming in from what I remember those shoulders the, the he kid, was his shoulders yeah, were so wide 18 yeah. years old Dwight Howard's shoulders deserve their own wing of the Hall of Fame he went on to say too and I didn't put it in because it's just a longer clip but uh that you know LeBron played 37 minutes as a 37 year old and Giannis is only playing 34 minutes like I just are we going to pretend that the minutes are the same? Like that's that's there's another what I'm saying is there's another layer to this that I didn't even play that that got even worse. I I, I don't know. For me, this is this is a a shoe in for the gold medal initially. All right. Well, all right. So let's go through then what we think the three nominees are. Right. Yeah. Uh, I assume we all have Gilbert in. Do we want to just rank him one, two, three? Yeah, Gilbert to me is a one. I would agree. Kyle. Get the, the uh, well, it's, it's football season. Yeah, definitely, totally. It's football season, but yeah, he's he should be number one. <laughs> All right, so wait, well, there, there's a little. Okay, so you, like, I, I think you can make an argument for the Bart Scott one. Well, like, I think you, there's an argument to be made there. Like, I think it's, I think it's Gilbert one, Bart two, and then Perk on Pat Bev and Russ three. Yeah, because Bart had a weird point. opinion, and then he topped it off with some crazy, some crazy sauce on top of it with the whole Andy Reid thing. He already had sort of a weird like. Why would you say that? And then it was just like, that's like a, I've gotten in like a drunk argument with my girlfriend and said something at the end. She's like, wait, what the hell? Does he have anything to do with what we're saying? Why did you do this? Now you're totally like lost credibility. So I think he should be there. Yeah. No, I think that's the right ranking. That's one, two, three. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's the first one. So now we have to come up with nominees. Each of us have to has a nominee that we potentially use to replace any of the three that are on the podium. Yep. Correct. Yep. Everywhere. Right. I'd Every, like to crowdsource mine. You guys can. I don't want to watch all the shows. Right. So I'm just you, glad. Like I'm glad Kellerman. If Kellerman had done an Iguodala one now, I would have been like, let's just end the segment. Mm. It's it's over. But uh, maybe he'll give us another one. Maybe he'll give us another one. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll give out the. Yeah. No, I'm saying maybe we'll give out the annual Max Kellerman Trophy to whatever uh, whatever person wins this thing at the end of the season. That'd be perfect. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Okay, it's Life Advice, lifeadvicerr at gmail.com. Hey, fellas, 30, 6'3", recently lost the ability to dunk. Well, if you're 30, that means you can regain the ability to dunk. I almost don't want to answer any. If that's what you've already decided, you're never going to dunk again at 30 years old when you could and you were 6'3", then do we even want to talk to you? But we will. We'll continue. Anyway, anywho, I got married four and a half years ago and leading up to the wedding, my wife and I decided not to invite a friend from college. Let's call him Charlie. This guy sounds like a wild card. Mm. 
To give more context, my wife and I both met at college, had a large group of mutual friends, and probably invited somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 college friends to our wedding. There was one person, however, who we chose not to invite, Charlie. At one point, I would say Charlie was one of my best friends, but after college, he kind of lost control. We tried to hang out, but he's usually too fucked up to really have a good time. My wife and I moved away, and I hadn't hung out with Charlie in probably two years before the wedding. All right. I felt a little bit weird about it at the time, but he seemed like a wild card. Hey, there he goes. He used, he used the word. And we weren't actively talking much during that time. Fast forward almost five years, and he seems to have gotten his shit together to some degree, parenthetical, and is kind of in the mix again, in the mix. <laughs> We're planning on moving back, and I'll probably see him with some regularity. Honestly, I feel really shitty about the whole thing. And I don't have a lot of regrets in life, but not inviting him to our wedding feels like a dick move to someone I once considered one of my best friends. Question, do I ever address it with Charlie? I don't really know how to say uh, you were a fuck up, so we didn't invite you. But at the same time, I think I messed up and it was a bad friend move to have not invited him. And it's weird to ignore that I'm seeing him multiple times a year. All right. Uh, first of all, if this is like a big, big haunting regret, then it means that you've had a pretty clean life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. This is not Good for you. <laughs> yeah. This is like, I don't know, a tier four regret on the scale of tears, regret tears. So I think it's cool that it does bother you. You know what I mean? Because as somebody who wasn't invited to weddings that were potentially like core groups, and it was strictly because of an ex in a situation like that. And they were like, we're just no one. Everybody was like, don't invite him because it's, you know, it's not, it's not going to be great. And we're closer friends with the new boyfriend and whatever. Fuck them. It hurt, but I got it. I got why I wasn't invited. And of the two weddings that I wasn't invited to, a couple years after, one pulled me aside and said, hey, I want, of course, the husband before us go, I wanted to invite you. Mm-hmm. My wife was like, absolutely not. Because he's going to get really pissed. And he's already still mad about something that happened. And, you know, it wasn't like a, you know, drunken fall through the tent and rip things down. It was like, knowing Ryan, he'll probably say something. You know, he might say something early, he might say something late, he might say something on Friday night, he might, you know, but he's probably not just going to sit there and take it because he feels like he was wrong. And so I, when the guy said that to me, it meant a lot. I was like, yeah, man, I appreciate it. The other people never addressed it. And trust me, I've never forgotten it. And it's funny because then that person has asked me for favors as my career took off. And uh, I've gone like, oh, for the 12 favor requests. Because I do think I am more get it over with, talk about it, get it out there. Now, to specifically your email, if Charlie was that much of a screw up, he has to take the ownership. That burden is really more on him. He wasn't invited for a reason. You weren't doing it just because you were like, oh, well, I don't like you anymore, right? Now, you also weren't talking to him for a while, although sometimes the math on you know, college core friend you know, you get a pass on how often you're even talking or seeing each other, certainly on the seeing each other. But if you didn't talk to him for two straight years, like all the facts to me in this case are totally on your side. But I do think it's admirable. I do think it's the way men have a really hard time. They don't, they just do a bad job of like, hey, this is why I feel this way. This is why this happened. I want you to know that. And, and boom. And if Charlie has turned things around, you know, I don't, I don't know what level of screw up we're talking about here. Uh, 
if he was a guy who every single weekend it was something and now he's not that guy anymore. It's likely that if he's matured, again, you kind of said like mate somewhat. So if he's still fucked up all the time, then maybe he's not going to be as open to this. But if he went through a period where he was constantly fucking up and is now straightened out a bit, he'll likely be like, hey, man, I kind of get it. You know, I kind of get why I wasn't invited. It was like you were the only person that didn't want to hang out with me during the beginning of those, you know, post-college years. So it's fine. I totally get it. Thank you for saying something. I just have a hard time believing that this conversation goes in a way where he's like, yeah, actually, I wasn't going to say anything. But now that you bring it up, I'm pissed off all over again. Like, I don't think there's a way for him to be more mad after you bring it up. So if it truly is bothering you that much, you say, hey, look, we're younger. We hadn't talked in a while. You know, you can blame the wife a little bit. I know some people don't like when we do that on the podcast, but I would gladly, if I were the husband and it was easier for my wife in the transaction, I'd be like, just put it on me a little. I don't, yeah, you know, I don't give a shit. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's part of one of the great things about me being married. Be like, yeah, just blame me for that one. Uh, I, I think your head's totally in the right place. I think all the facts are on your side. And if, you know, if it's really bothering you that much, I would bring it up. And I, of all the scenarios that I play out in my head, I have a hard time believing that there's multiple versions of it where you end up feeling worse after you talk about this. I mean, I think if the goal is to make the guy feel better and not so that you, it's not like you're going into a confessional, you know, like in a Catholic church or something. If the goal is just to make the guy feel better, you could say whatever reason you want, right? It's a wedding. You're like, hey, listen, it was a wedding. It was the first time I, hopefully my first and only wedding. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. We had a list of 20 people that had to come off, you know. I don't know. There's there's like a bunch of different ways to do it. You'd be like, listen, it also wasn't totally, you know, it's not totally my day either. So if the, you could get a little wife blaming in there as well and just be like, listen, the guest list was the guest list. It was, you know, it wasn't because you're you're a crazy asshole. It was because, you know, I invited, you know, a bunch of people and and I had to start, you know, you make a list and you start crossing names off and hey man, your name wasn't the first one crossed off. I can promise you that. You know, I'm I'm sorry. I was, you know, thinking about who who talked when and and, you know, got a big family. Aunts and uncles had to come. There was a lot of people that had to come. And then once you get all those people on the list, you got to figure out who you want to come. So I, I tried to get you on there, man. You were on until like the the fifth round of cuts or something. You know, you don't have to be completely honest and say it's because we thought you I don't, were going to. I don't know that you need to give up that much information. <laughs> give like, him a you list were, of your friends. The, years. Yeah, we <laughs> had you as the first four out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be like, I don't know. I just think like there's a way that for you to not be like, yeah, I thought you were a fucking crazy asshole. And also just like, man, weddings, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's like after the Creighton loss, it'd be like after the Buffalo Wild Wings thing on a Tuesday, yeah. we put you, we moved you down to the plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah. I'm going through it right now. So, you know, I've uh, I've I've made a mistake and called and like texted people and then be like, oh, wait, no, I guess I guess I've told them about this wedding. And now I'm looking at the list and it's looking a little lengthy. And these guys are like first round uh, mini camp cuts like i so i don't <laughs> i don't know what i'm gonna do about that i guess we'll pay more um when i i told when i showed my fiance the updated list she's like what are you doing so i don't uh i don't yeah. know i still feel bad about saruti's wedding but then again i don't know that we were going to end up becoming this close after it i was like whatever i was like that was a good run at espn i'm not going to talk to that guy that much anymore so <laughs> we're fine. seeing nominee right there no it's terrible that's all right you know you've been the, held the, accountable multiple people have been mad at you about that and not me i'm not I, not me no no, there are people I was like, wow, people are really saucy about this one. But the problem is, is I put way too much into Saruti knowing he didn't care. So I was like, perfect. Yeah. He didn't because I'd just been there and I had to go back and I had like all these. And I was like, I got to go back three weeks. And I was like, just write a nice check, which I did. 
not asking for credit for it, but certainly a distraction <laughs> for not showing up. But now that we've become closer and poor Rudy has to deal with all my phone call ideas all the time, um, I wish I had gone. So there you go. Yeah, I, 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 it's no harm, no foul. It's fine. Uh, the reverse, it, Charlie. It is weird, though, because, <laughs> you know, there were definitely when I got married, there were definitely some some people I felt bad about. And, you know, there were some work people that were in there. There were some long time friends that I, you know, just again, that you lose touch with kind of similar to this situation. It's like a larger scale version of like your MySpace eight. And it's like just in real life. And it's like really hard to like basically be like, hey, like, you know, you're I, I, this person knows you're getting married. They're kind of on the cut line and then they get the chop. I mean, there was this one person who, you know, his friends, one of my best friends throughout all of high school and kind of became earthy crunchy, started listening to a lot of NPR. We just kind of grew apart. And, you know, all of our other friend <laughs> wait, group wait, was invited. Wait, 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 back up. Like NPR. So. The guy, once he locked into NPR, just he went from like a seven there were a seed lot to a 12. There were, that, I, there's a lot of factors. That was one of them. I mean, you know, it just, <laughs> and, but know. we also didn't talk. We didn't talk. Good so it was know. like, okay, all the other group, groups, you know, friends from that group were invited. And it's like this one person I'm not going to invite. Like, I felt like a dick, but I, I didn't talk to them. Like, I, I, you know, like we weren't friends anymore. So what do you want me to do? And we honestly, it was the right choice because we, we haven't talked since. So it's fine. Um, but uh, the other thing you could do is, yeah, like Kyle, you kind of alluded to this. Like, what you can do if you don't want to blame your wife is you could just blame the, the guest list number and, like, hey, like my parents are, you know, are, are chipping in or our parents are chipping in. Like, they gave us a number and we just can't go over that. I'm sorry, man. Like, this is it is what it is. Uh, and if they're been mad about that, then I guess you're, you're probably not going to be friends with them for much longer anyway. I don't think the number thing, I, I, I get it from, but the, the outsider doesn't ever see it that way. They'll be like, wait, you, so what's the number? 12 I, and you're like no it's 120 and then they, in his head because no. he's just selfish he's not going like i couldn't make the top 120 and then you're like dude things add up a lot of cousins hey, a well, lot it's of not no. all my friends too yeah my dad's got a lot of brothers and sisters as a mayor as i'm not do, trying to do the as a married guy thing but like i will never get mad at anyone ever again if i don't get invited to their wedding knowing what how like weird and difficult that process was so i i don't know who got my spot uh, I don't think I, I think it was just, it was left it was an empty seat. We left an empty seat at Adnan and Will Kane's table. Could have been fun. Yeah, that's fucked. It's bad. It's <laughs> all right. It's all good. You missed a good time. But I know. No, that's yeah. I have nothing to say. Nope. Nothing to say about that except I screwed it up. This does make me think that we should put together a bracket of people and just seat them and then move it around. I couldn't do friends. I'd be lucky to get a elite eight. So, uh, podcasts. All right. Workshopping, workshopping this. Maybe a vacation. Maybe if mm -hmm. I go to, I don't know, Mallorca, we'll do this. All right, never mind. Okay, uh, email. This one's more for Saruti. Okay. 2158162. Only been working out with 20 pound dumbbells for the past few weeks because that's all the gym in my apartment has. That is not why I said this <laughs> well, one's for Saruti. No. <laughs> Sorry. No, <laughs> there's, there's a reason. And by the way, if you go to 20 pounders, big. yeah, he wants to be quick, dude. Yeah. Back off. I want to be rock star ripped. That's it. I don't want to be big. Are you ripped though? No, not at all. Yeah, not even close. No. You have no abs that show, correct? I have no muscles. I'm, I, you know, like Van Pelt used to say, skinny fat. Like I wouldn't go that far, but you know, I'm not in terrible shape, but I don't have muscles. Great jawline. How can you love Styles and Chalamet and all these fancy European soccer players and not want to have abs? <laughs> because I, because I like food <laughs> and I don't okay. like working out as much. I guess <laughs> you know. I think my 20 minutes on the Peloton every other day is probably not going to cut it. I try. But, you know, I like pasta. What can I do? I, I learned on Instagram that abs are built in the kitchen. You don't Correct. see it a lot. You don't see it a <laughs> yeah. lot. Yeah. Uh, heard, heard that. Yep. Yeah. 
what are you doing? Oh, I moved out to LA. You know, I'm, I got an Instagram page, a lot of fitness, different things. You know, I got a post up the other day, I got like 1200 likes and said abs are built in the kitchen. Like, oh, you're the one that did that. Okay, so here we go. A recently college grad from, um, we're going to leave this out because this guy gave us too much information. Big 10 school just got offered an entry level job at ESPN and will be relocating to Bristol, Connecticut or maybe Hartford. Uh, don't really know. This is a job I could have never dreamed of getting. I'm over the moon with excitement, but thrown off by Bristol. Aren't we all? <laughs> What are your thoughts on living in a random city town after college? I live in a major city with my parents right now. And it's going to feel weird to uproot that and move to somewhere like Bristol. No offense to the place and its residents. This guy wants to make sure that everybody likes him uh, coming in, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess are my future coworkers. Any recommendations on food or bars in the area? I know it's been a few years, but I imagine you know the place well. I don't think this guy's focus is in the wrong place. Um, you're going to figure it out. You've got a phone and the internet. Like there's going to be places to eat nearby. Uh, although J Tim's wings, not right. that far, but they still to this day are the best wings I've ever had anywhere. And they're inc- They're so good. And the weirdest thing is I remember one time we got them and I got them to go and I was like, this is so stupid. It's going to take way too long. And they actually still were good later on, which is, you know, I'm pretty fussy about the reheating part of things. So, all right. I said, Rudy, let's just talk to this guy about like the do's and don'ts of what he needs to do. Because I'll just share really quickly. It isn't about Bristol. It isn't about Hartford. It isn't about where you live. It isn't about all the opportunities, the restaurants, the bars, and all that stuff. Maybe some other people prior. To me, ESPN could have been on the bad side of fucking Antarctica, and I would have worked there and lived there for years if it was the best for my career. I would suggest that if you care about this, and this is what you really want to do, and you want to be in sports, who gives a shit where you live? All right? Mm -hmm. Bristol isn't a great time. All right? Hartford isn't a great time. These are not secrets. But when you work at ESPN, there's this odd concept from the outside. It's like, oh, what's it like? Being? I wasn't walking around downtown Bristol five days a week. All right. I got off the highway. I pulled into the security lot. I did the show and then I left. Yep. And so granted, at the entry level, the apartments and things that are going to be available to you, you probably still could actually find something in Hartford. I don't know that you're going to find something in West Hartford. Um I would, I would probably try to do that. I don't know what your financial situation is. I don't know what the assistant part of the, uh, the family dynamic is there. But I would not worry about you're prioritizing this for one reason, and that should be your career. Who gives a shit where you live? All right, my rant is over. No, I'd like to know what the job is. Is it like your normal nine to five or is it like a production job where you're going to be working nights and weekends and it's not going to matter anyway? Entry <laughs> because- level? Isn't that like the PA program? Well, yeah, I, I assume it's I assume it has something to do with production, right? There's no way it's, this is like an accounting job. Uh, I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. But like those are two very different things because, you know, you're not going to have a life probably early on uh, because you're going to be working all the shitty hours that the new people work. Right. And so you're probably you're like you're you're, you're going to be going out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights as opposed to Friday, Saturday. Like your nightlife isn't going to be what you think it's it should be or could be. So just know that going in. Um, but the other thing I'll say that's really cool about ESPN and like there are annoying things or whatever throughout our time there, but there are some really cool stuff. And as like a young PA, so I started when I was, I think, 22 or 23. I was pretty, I was like a year or two out of college. There is like a college vibe to not only the campus itself. So like, yes, it's in Bristol, but you're not like, it's all fenced off. Like you're in, you're on the ESPN campus. You don't know that you're in Bristol. It could be literally anywhere. So that doesn't matter. And two, when you're not working, there's a bunch of other 22 to 25 to, you know, maybe even late 20s year olds living in West Hartford or living around the, in the area 
and you're kind of going over each other's houses. You're becoming friends. Like it's actually this really kind of cool post college, but also similar to college vibe. So I would say, yeah, West Hartford might be tough to swing a solo apartment there these days. Maybe you can, I mean, I know there are like some like, you know, housing boards where you can potentially live with some other people. That's how you meet some new friends there. But some of the best times I had were in West Hartford when I lived with two or three other people that worked at ESPN and we would just go out because we all had shitty similar schedules and it was a ton of fun. We'd go out on like, you know, weekday nights and have a great time. And I didn't really worry about it. And again, I'm from Connecticut, so it's different for me. I'm probably biased in this, but I just don't really think it's as bad as people make it out to be. West Hartford's fun. There's good restaurants. It's not going to be New York City. It's not going to be Boston, but it's still a good time with a bunch of other young people who also want to get after it, who are also like still thinking about their careers. So I don't know. I just always thought the Bristol thing and knocking Connecticut was so overrated. But again, I'm, I'm, I admit, I'm admittedly biased. The Bristol part of it's true, but irrelevant. You're you not know, hanging out in Bristol. You're, you're not. Yeah. You're not in Bristol. It's you know people that are neat. You know they'd be like, oh, living in Bristol, huh? Like I've been on TV for ten fucking years. Like no offense, you think I live in Bristol? <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> you know, yeah. Van Pelt and I are over at the Y, Bristol. Bucci <laughs> comes over. We all do calisthenics together. You know, it's a living. It's a grind, but it's a living. You know, and you're just like it's. It's not the way that it works. And honestly, when you're younger, you're gonna be in a shitty apartment in any major city. So. You know, it doesn't, I, I could, I could not agree more though on like, I'd meet people from, you know, weird parts of Northern Florida and they'd be like, ah, this place sucks. I'm like, are you kidding me? West Hartford, Glastonbury, yeah. you know, not that Farmington has some downtown, but like Avon's a gorgeous town. Uh, again, if you're in your early twenties, you're not hanging out there necessarily, but there's New Haven, great town. It's a little bit further away, but incredible college town. Yeah. You go to Toad's place. It's awesome. I was, great pizza. I was over it for a bunch of reasons. I even lived in Hartford when I first, first got there. And Hartford's Hartford's not a, a civilian city. It's just nobody lives there. And I was in one of the few residential buildings that were there. And it's just a weird, you know, I remember that one time I came back from, a, I think, a Texas A&M game and I landed early enough because I was able to get to a major airport to get back to Hartford to get to work on Sunday for Sunday football stuff. And there was a parade going on in like the fall. It was a cold fall Sunday day and no one was watching it. No one was there. Do you know how scary that was? It was, horrible. it was like a horror movie. I've told that story before, but I remember being like, wait, this is actually like a real parade that they're doing today and no one showed up to watch it. Like, that's a great, that's a great shot in a movie. You know? Anyway. Uh, there's way more that we could say about the whole thing, but we don't know the person's dynamic. But I, to me, I don't, you want to be at ESPN. You said it's a job you're never going to get before. Maybe you just thought we were going to say, hey, this restaurant's good. This one isn't. I mean, you're going to figure all that out pretty quickly. Uh, yeah. There's like five of them. Yeah. You just rotate yeah. them all. It's fine. This isn't TripAdvisor, man, <laughs> unless it is a specific Icelandic podcast. So uh, we had a bunch of parents chiming in on the swearing thing. A lot of different theories on how to do this. We had... Um, one guy suggests you just tell your kids they're grown-up words and they can't use them until they're older. <laughs> yeah, so are lighters. Lighters you're not supposed to use until you're older either. That doesn't work. Yeah. Kyle, how old were you when you bought your first lighter? Bought one? I don't know. They were or around. Got one. Families, yeah. families were smokers on both sides. It's just yeah. like, I'll just take this one and you'll just think you yeah. lost it. The power of having a lighter under 10 years Come old. On. I mean, that's, yeah. Burning it's bus like seats, the lighting the street on fire. Yeah, <laughs> leaves, whatever. <laughs> You don't see a lot of young girls that love burning shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I didn't come across any. I think. 
<laughs> All right. So this guy says, huge fan of the show. Tough one. Uh, we certainly don't condone our five-year-old swearing, but I've known to drop an F-bomb or two every day. Last Thanksgiving, he was four. He comes in the adult room with all the family and goes, have you guys ever tried root beer? It's fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone laughed. Game over. We tried to reprimand him uh, through the laughter, but it was impossible because I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, that's the other thing, too, is that sometimes, sometimes your kids will swear. And sometimes it will be funny. So, all right. Okay, that's a podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for everyone for joining us today. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Ryan Russillo podcast. We'll be back on Friday. Uh, do we have a guest for Friday yet? Uh, Feldman? Oh, yeah. We haven't had Bruce Feldman yeah. on yet for college football. So we'll do some college football. Probably another magnificent open. And 3 0 in our picks, by the way. Don't worry about it. Oh, that's right. 3 0 in the picks, 7 and 2 in the year. So off to a hot start. Hot start. Ryan Rosillo Podcast, Ringer Spotify. Talk to you Friday. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.